and welcome to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. And uh, what a week. I, I don't even remember yesterday. Yesterday <laughs> is a blur for me. Um, you, Our listeners, they may notice the odd sniffle yeah. here and there because um all of the trees are trying to um you know uh, what's the what's the word uh, reproduce inside my nose uh, and and your nose as well they're doing they're doing it to you as well i've been better today but every so often i do get a sneezing fit of somewhere between 10 and 40 sneezes in a row which oh, sounds like sarcasm but you used to live with me you know that yeah. I can sneeze so much I almost pass out from lack of oxygen. Like I have, yeah. I have for me it causes muscle spasms, and then oh. like it's just it's very uncomfortable. Violent sneezes, not a great time. I do remember yesterday because I watched uh, a really interesting late '80s movie in which somebody reached inside of somebody else and then turned them inside out. Ew. The effects were so good. <laughs> it was just convincing enough. But yeah, no, that was a that was an interesting film. That was a, a strange and interesting film for sure. Well, last week, um, as many of our listeners would have noticed, the federal government announced the uh, the proposed budget. Uh, it's quite likely that this budget is going to pass. I think the bloc and the, the NDP, the NDP at the very least, isn't going to oppose it. But one of the things that jumped out to us is that they have proposed 15 million over three years to Women and Gender Equality Canada for an LGBTQ2 projects fund. Mm. Now, our regular listeners will recall, uh, recall that we I had a chat with Minister Chaga a few weeks ago mm-hmm. about their announced funding, which came as part of the Future of LGBT Organizations Fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was it was several million dollars that came out, 15 million over 76 projects. Okay, yeah. Well, the government's had a bit of a change of plan. They're now calling it the LGBTQ Projects Fund. Yeah, well, this is something that we've talked about before, the the difference between projects and programming. Because I remember uh, earlier when we were chatting about what to talk about today, you said 15 million. And I was like, oh, that's not enough. For projects, 15 million is a lot. For programming, 15 million is absolutely nothing at all like an, an insufficient amount to do anything but but projects and, and programming are very different beasts 15 million for projects actually i think this is very exciting we have we have questions there are definitely oh. questions uh, related okay, yeah. to this the the first one being what we noticed when the liberal government first announced this i think this was 2018 or 2019 mm-hmm. um sort of pre-pandemic is that they cut massive checks to big organizations, namely Toronto Pride. At yes. the time, uh, Toronto Pride was having definitely some financial issues. They were hemorrhaging cash. Yeah. And then the Liberals showed up with a big shiny check yeah. and they didn't, it wasn't really clear what they were going to get out of it. Well, the other thing is th- there was a, a period of instability where there were some internal debates about what to do about what. And maybe you agree with the old guard. Maybe you agree with the new guard. Maybe you think they're both right. Maybe you think they're both wrong. But either way, you don't give a large sum of money like that to an organization that's currently going through a period of instability. They also give them a separate chunk of cash to run a federal uh, like a, a national survey on yeah. uh, like needs and, and access to resources. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't quite p- 
put our mind to why a local festival yep. in Toronto yep. is going to know what needs you have in Saskatoon. Well, not only that, but how you ask the question. Like, there, there's a whole field of, of theory about how to ask questions in a survey in order to get the questions, uh, the, uh, the kind of data that you want. So if you've ever filled out a survey, if you've ever filled out a survey and you're like, I've answered this question already, where it's like, yes or no, do you like this? And then like on the next page, it's like, yes or no, do you dislike this? And the reason why they're asking the same question twice is that if you agree every time you get asked that question, regardless of how it's rephrased, then they take that as being like, this is important to you. Whereas the moment you have like one question, you say yes, and another question, you say no, it means that you have complicated feelings over it. So you can actually extract a lot of Mm -hmm. secondary data just by how you ask a question. So sometimes you look at a survey and some of it looks really dumb and repetitive. Sometimes 90% of the questions on there, they don't actually care about the answer. Really what they're doing is they're getting you to think about things. So like, you know, you could ask somebody, have you ever experienced gender violence? Have you ever witnessed gender violence? Blah, blah, blah. They're not actually asking those questions. Really the question what they're asking for is the last question on the entire thing, what is your gender identity? And everything before that is just to get you thinking about it. So that whatever answer you have has been like properly set up in a way that gets a the real answer out of it, which is so bizarre. Like when you start learning about like how many questions on a survey are they're, they're junk or they're just there to, to prompt you to think a certain way or they're there to like it's a pretty complicated thing. Or sometimes you don't want people to think a certain way. You want to remove bias. So how do you do that? Well, there's an entire field about that. How do you mathematically strip away? random chance to bring the conversation back in does toronto pride know how to do that that's that, yeah. yeah and <laughs> toronto pride had a pretty controversial former executive director and uh, they have now left i don't know because the reason why i bring this up is that 15 million was the big announcement in i think 2018 or 2019 in in the budget at the time and it took them a long time to announce the money going to organizations which aren't toronto pride and the other big sort of windfall right. Um, organizations and then we started to see amazing money like um, a community-based research center got a bunch of money and it was all like substantive cash to allow effective capacity in about 70 odd different organizations yeah one of the questions that i asked minister chaga and uh you know i think it, it definitely was in the clip from from the interview is this is this money it is this uh, i think it was like eight million or something that uh, the total was left is this it? Are we are we going to see no money ever for LGBT organizations, or is the federal government going to continue to support the the integral capacity of organization? Now, Minister Chaga told us that the future is uncertain. That in order to ensure that there's funds available, the LGBT community needs to advocate for it. Yeah. It needs to enter uh, right into the survey for the federal budget yeah, and so yeah. on and so forth. Essentially, yeah. they didn't commit to anything, putting the onus on the LGBT community. Which is, uh, on the one hand, like from a cynical point of view, it's like, well, there's a politician's answer. But on the other hand, like, you know, fair enough. Like if, if the community can get its act together enough to advocate then it can get its act together enough to make use of that money and if infighting gets to the point where we can't even agree on what to advocate for then yeah i'm sorry they they don't deserve money until they get their their act together because what what's going to happen to that money if you know there's not at least a little consistency 
I reached out to Minister Maryam Monsef, who is uh, the minister who would be in charge of this particular uh, division and asking for, for some answers. Uh, but one of the things I said is what motivated the commitment from the federal government? How does it reflect from the community consultations in the budget? Why was it moved from PCH to WAGE, that's uh, um, Canadian Heritage, to Women and Gender Equality Canada? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what sorts of projects will be funded? Now, it's worth noting that not only is this commitment brand new, but this new fund is brand new and it's completely unconfirmed mm. because the budget hasn't passed yet. At time of recording, the budget hasn't passed. So yeah. I wasn't expecting a fully fleshed out answer here, but mm. I was hoping for a bit of a, a bit of a direction. The, the folks at Women and Gender Equality Canada declined an interview with the Minister for CanQueer, but mm. did provide a written statement. But I'm going to read a, a little bit from you here. And mm-hmm. I quote, A key priority for the government of Canada is to strengthen diversity and inclusion so that all Canadians can participate fully as members of Canadian society. That is why on November 20th, 2019, the Honourable Banish Chaka was appointed as Minister of Diversity and Inclusion and Youth responsible for the LGBTQ Secretariat and wage mandate was expanded to immense equality with respect to sexual orientation, gender identification, and expression. The LGBTQ Secretariat will continue its important work with the LGBTQ stakeholders across the country, as well as access uh, across the federal public service to support the integration of LGBTQ to considerations into the everyday work of the federal government. To ensure that Canada's recovery fosters a fairer and more equal society for LGBTQ2 people where they can participate as full members of Canadian society, Budget 2021 proposes to provide 15 million over three years, starting in 2021-2022, to Women and Gender Equality Canada for a new LGBTQ2 projects fund dedicated to supporting community-informed initiatives that overcome key issues facing LGBTQ2 communities, such as accessing mental health services and employment support. Budget 2021 also proposes to provide 7.1 million over three years, starting in 2021-2022, to Canadian Heritage to support the work of the LGBTQ2 Secretariat, which can coordinate work across government and enable the continued development of the LGBTQ Action Plan. The funding is another important step towards supporting LGBTQ communities in Canada and ensure equal opportunities uh, for success. And I will just wrap it up with this one. WAGE works closely with the LGBTQ Secretariat to ensure that the perspectives of LGBTQ communities and stakeholders are integrated into the way WAGE or W-A-G-E, it's it's an acronym, provides funding support. The LGBTQ Secretariat is currently undertaking engagement sessions with LGBTQ2 communities as part of the development of the federal LGBTQ action plan. WAGE will work closely with the LGBTQ2 Secretariat and stakeholders to ensure that this new funding supports initiatives in a way that is community informed, making sure that support meaningfully reflects priorities identified by LGBTQ2 communities. 
a range of projects which advance social, political, and economic equality with respect to sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression may be eligible for this new funding support. Wedge will work with the LGBTQ2 Secretariat to ensure the project funding reflects priorities with uh, through the engagement. Essentially, I think that boils down to we're working on it. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is a lot about priorities, importance, stakeholders, and I agree with them. I think that this funding for 20, I would be actually very surprised mm. if we see any of the 15 million and that like actually rolled out in, in 2021, 2022. Yeah. Because it sounds like they're, they're leaning heavily on the Secretariat to figure out what should be funded. Well, I mean, so if it's if it's project based, that's usually training and infrastructure. There's other things as well, but it almost always lands on training and infrastructure, getting a better office, buying more materials, uh, hiring graphic designers, uh, little project based things to sort of improve the, the foundation of your organization. Like, again, this is the difference between this and programming, like they're not paying for you to keep the doors open. They're paying for you to make a place that is worthy of keeping yeah. the doors open. It's not just funding, you know, a little pet project. It's about creating a, a, a legacy, a, a, a forward impact. How does it, how does this improve Canadian lives? We are working on an interview with Minister Chaka, the Minister for Diversity, Inclusion and Youth. Um, we're hoping to have that interview done over the next week, uh, ready for next week's show, where hopefully uh, myself and Minister Chaga and, and you, Seb, if you're able to join, can dive into the details of the LGBTQ Secretariat. So being a good boy that I am, I asked Wage about the fund and I asked Minister Chaga's office about the Secretariat yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because the budget clearly said that one goes here, one goes there. The uh, wage gave me that statement I read a little earlier, and the secretariat um, possibly will get an interview with the minister uh, to go over what the action plan is right. and when we might see some of this funding. Now, Seb, what do you think? Fifteen million over three years—it's a lot of moolah. It's a lot of it's a lot of Canadian tax money. Uh, what do you, what do you think about this? Well, one of the things that I I. I worry about, and this is probably something that some of our listeners are probably also thinking, just hoping that that money ends up in the hands of competent people who are actually interested in stuff. Because you and I have both seen organizations, which for obvious reasons we will not name on air, where you find out about their income and you look at their projects and you're like, where is the money going? What do they actually do? What do they do in the day-to-day? -day? How are they supposed to be helping people? How does this help people? And then you see other organizations that do amazing work that struggle. And I really hope that they don't just take people's word for it, that they actually like do a little bit of research. They go on Google for more than five seconds and they actually try to figure out what organizations do the most work and have the most impact in the community versus which ones are just really good at marketing themselves. Um, there's also a lot of organizations that historically have had troubles attracting funding, uh, trans health in general, but actually uh, queer health in specific as well, like they're, they're for reasons that are poorly explained, um, they've, they've definitely isolated this with uh, gay men and with 
think lesbians as well. There are certain health conditions that are disproportionate affecting those communities, and nobody knows why. Some of them we know it has to do with like smoking. Uh, there's a lot of substance abuse issues, and that can accumulate over time and affect your health. I'd, I'd like to see more of that happen. It is like my, my main thing, really what it boils down to is just I really hope that money goes to the people who are most interested in feet on the ground getting things done. Yeah. yeah. I, I also have questions around um, accountability. Now, yeah. don't get me wrong. You know, for example, and this is taking a look at the, the previous funding, uh, Fierte Canada Pride, the sort of umbrella organization for pride organizations, had 400,000 uh, allocated it to build capacity and, and help train pride organizations on uh, financial competency. So essentially giving the smaller organizations the ability to not go bankrupt. Yes. And having been on the board of a pride organization that did go bankrupt, yep. um, that is very important training. But that being said, I know for a fact that through Canadian Heritage, any donation over or any, any grant or subsidy over 100,000 requires a financial audit as part mm-hmm. of the reporting process. Mm-hmm. So the federal government is quite adept at diving, like Digging in on financial details, you know, getting all of the information that it needs to ensure that you have the ability to execute the grant. Yeah. But that's with the federal government. I wonder what accountability there could be to the community. We, as in me and you, yes. will be keeping a hawk-like eye <laughs> on, on the funding as it comes and goes. This is great news, but we'll be keen to make sure that Canadian tax dollars are, are spent well yeah. and that they impact folks' lives in a positive way. Um, so we'll be keeping an eye on that as we move forward. And, and all of that is to say that it, it is important mm. that when the government is spending these funds, that they're spent appropriately. And yeah. as a member of the community, I want to make sure that those organizations are being effective, efficient, and, yeah. and, and, and doing well. The yeah, fact yeah. that the money is only going to be given out to things that a group of stakeholders have collectively agreed are the priorities, mm. I'm okay with that. I, I think that's good. Um, we will monitor the story as it develops, but uh, we're going to jump to our first couple of songs. This is Eating Your Dust by Lisa Costa. We will be back just after this. I would go anywhere with you. Take me out to the country, baby. I would go anywhere with you. I'd even cross into the night. Then you took away. I'd ever feel you You dropped out of this whole race And I can still hear you perfect way they used to be, baby. I swear I feel your hands on me, and I don't know which way to run. They say love is everlasting. They say love, it's in the casting. Dirt, babe. My favorite place, eating your dad. 
Hello and welcome back to Kangui, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. Now, we have been following a couple of stories over many years yes. uh, as things develop. And I want to zero in on the violence uh, that broke out in 2019 at the Pride Hamilton Festival. Now, me and you recall that we read the, what I think is frankly hilarious, judge's report. Uh, there was a judge commissioned to, to investigate. He issued, I think, 38 recommendations. According to late 2020, 34 of them have been enacted by the Hamilton Police Service. Mm -hmm. um, but essentially, there was a, a Pride Festival and the organizers pretty much knew that there was going to be some... Uh, anti-gay religious bigots mm -hmm. who are going to show up and protest. And yeah. they did. It got violent. Um, an idiot with a helmet smashed somebody in the face. It was, yep. he is then, he's been prosecuted since then. It was horrific what happened at this Pride Festival. Now, a year later in June uh, 12th in 2020, the Pride mm -hmm. organization filed a complaint against the Hamilton Police Service with the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Mm -hmm. And their argument was, is that the police have an obligation to provide equitable services to the LGBT communities, even when uniformed officers are not welcome at community events. Essentially, just because you're not invited, it doesn't mean you get a you get to opt out of policing, mm -hmm. and uh, that's something that I was really quite passionate about. For those yeah, who yeah, yeah. those episodes, yeah. that you can't just choose not to be there. Um, anyway, the the big story that has come out of this is that the Human Rights Commission of Ontario has decided to side with the um, the pride organizations mm -hmm. in regards to the under-policing by the Hamilton Police Service. And just as a, a little reminder, uh, one of the main causes when they dug into it as to why the police weren't there, uh, it, it really didn't look like malice. It just looked like gross negligence because one of the main things that happened was there was not really a security detail that was planned out for the event until like was it literally two days before and part of the reason why this came to pass was because a whole bunch of sergeants and staff sergeants all pointed to each other and said i thought that was your job no 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 Seth, it was one person one person went on vacation and then changed jobs uh, in like January, yeah, yeah, and then nobody followed up until two or three days before. Well, exactly, yeah. They tried exactly. to create an action plan, but the guy that three days before was writing the action plan was actually going to his cottage for the weekend, so somebody else had to come in on day two to yeah. finish the action plan, and, yeah, and yeah. they they had no idea what they were doing. They couldn't tell their butt from the ground, as the saying goes. Um, when it came to this incident, yeah, it was a it was a whole lot of uh, uh, very poor decisions that accumulated. And, and I think if they were going on the historical model of like all through the two thousands, there was not a single incident that there was no major hate incidents at a pride event. It tends to be fine. Just send five cops to sit there and hang out in the parking lot; it'll be fine. 
on a normal year, it would have still been negligent, but it probably would have worked out. But on this year, they're like, no, no, we know people are on their way. They've been making their rounds for the past couple of years. So that extra request, that went ignored, that's where a lot of the problems come in. So yeah, and we I also, another refresher to your strong opinion, which was very similar to my own strong opinion, which is the community said, you're not welcome, we don't like you here. The police had a duty and responsibility to say, we acknowledge that, but we also have a duty and responsibility to protect you. So we're gonna stand over here. We're gonna be nearby. We're gonna try to be out of line of sight, but we have to keep an eye on you. Your mm -hmm. uncomfortable feelings versus your safety from harm is a delicate balance, but it is our jobs, our paid employment to do your safety. So- yeah. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I think what's more frustrating is that Hamilton Pride could have written like a, you know, like the when the pirates looking for treasure, they could have drawn a very crude map yeah. for an X exactly <laughs> where they expect the protesters to be mm. and given it to police. But the police, even though everybody except them yeah. seemed to know where these uh, religious bigots were going to be, um, it was it was horrific. Essentially, the, the judge's report that came out last year said that the response was inadequate and they failed to protect the, the festival participants. There's um, also a historical irony that uh, the police often show up to break to break up perfectly peaceful gay events where they're not welcome. And the one time where they were expected to be there, <laughs> they decided to actually listen to the community and say, oh, we're not welcome. OK, then never mind. It was uh, the one time in history, uh, so that that uh, that did not work out well. <laughs> well, it will be keeping an eye on it. Hamilton Pride is asking for six hundred thousand dollars in damages uh, through the tribunal. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know how that's going to come out. Whether or not they'll get those damages, um, the case is ongoing. But it does seem that the Ontario Human Rights Commission is on the side of Hamilton Pride. Um, given that uh, essentially the Hamilton Police Service under-policed mm -hmm. and, and underserved the community on this occasion. Now, in some good news, um, before we move to the next topic, there is a coalition of community members and organizations uh, through the Thunder Bay, Thunder Bay Pride Association and Northwest Ontario Pride, where they're creating a list of um, bathrooms that are gender neutral and sharing it with folks in the community. Now, I say this, we are broadcasting CILU FM in Thunder Bay, mm -hmm. but it's pretty great. It's just about spreading word that these organizations are places where you can go and pee without having to worry about, you know, being harassed, which is, you know, in Tennessee, I think right now there is a bill on the floor um, that would require, you know, people to prove their gender when they go to the washroom, which is ridiculous. Whereas the Thunder Bay Public Library is like, whatever, there's a gender neutral washroom, uh, don't make a mess. I mean, Probably I think the approach, anyway. yeah. Like, this is the thing that a lot of people, like 90% of gender neutral washrooms are single use anyway. When you have two single occupant bathrooms, one next to the other, you do not need to put a man sign on one and a woman sign on the other, because there's only one person in there at a time. Who cares? And a lot of places are starting to do this where they're just taking the signs off the door. That really is what's, it, they're just taking the signs off and it just is like, 
water closet now. Like, yeah. who cares? So, I mean, well, it, it, it's not even a major infrastructure thing. You're taking a sign off the door and replacing it with another sign. Like, in almost all cases. So, Sebastian, cast your mind back right. to 2019 and the Waterloo Catholic School Board. Okay. In 2019, uh, the student, Lauren... Uh, Erin Worth asked to have the LGBT Pride flag raised mm-hmm. as part of Pride Month in June yes. for yep. a school. At the time in 2019, lots of school boards were raising flags and, yep. and engaging in this cultural celebration of the queer identity. Mm-hmm. The Catholic school board said that it's decided not to fly the rainbow flag in 2019 mm-hmm. uh, because of its flag protocol. Yes. Essentially, they said it's the Canadian flag or nothing. End of list. And, and me and you are kind of on the same page with, yeah. with that. It's everyone or no one. Like, you know, Canadian flag, maybe the Ontario flag. If your municipality has a municipal flag, there, you know, you got three things. End of list. You know, there, there's not only are there so many things going on, but there's so many things going on at the same time. Like if, if Sri Lankan cultural week is happening at the same time as like Polynesian cultural week, which flag do you put up? Do you put up a hundred flagpoles and some places go, you know what? Three flags, end of list, nothing extra to which we say, eh, you know, I'd rather see flags than no flags, but this is, this is an okay plan B. This is an okay so, plan B. The students weren't so thrilled. Yeah. They they very much felt that their schools should be a place that celebrates actively diversity and and inclusion. Um, I also remember actually that, saying flagpoles do have protocols, but signs on cork boards do not. So if you say yeah. no flags up the flagpole, but you can poster, I think that is probably the best of both worlds right there. Well, that brings me that brings me to twenty twenty and what has to be one of the most impassioned clips on our show where I effectively lose my composure over what is the most hideous Crayola explosion of god-awful stick figures that was the hideous design by the Waterloo Catholic School Board for a makeshift non-pride pride flag where they've decided to create their own version, mm-hmm. which was awful. Um, it wasn't rainbow colored. It had, it was just aesthetically bleh. It was like on a beige background. And I remember you got so mad at that. It was, <laughs> it was dreadful. It yeah. was like they commissioned the kindergartners to make it. It was just bleh. Hmm. Awful. And the community responded quickly with the, uh, first of all, how dare you replace a globally recognized symbol for the LGBT community yeah. with this hideous stick figure. Yeah. Um, and, and also, like, you're missing the point. Here yeah. is the point. If you look five miles to your left, that's where you are. You are nowhere near the point. Um, so, yeah, the backlash was, was quick and, and quite uh, robust. Mm-hmm. That brings me to April 27th, 2021. So there's an update to this. Yes. Okay. The Waterloo, and this is according to the CBC coverage, the Waterloo Catholic District School Board will fly the Pride flag for the first time this June. 
So the board said the decision falls in lines with its vision to create, and I quote, a welcoming, safe and inclusive place for all, including the LGBTQ2 plus community. They go on to say, our Catholic schools are places where we educate young people to respect every person, regardless of their differences. That's the CBC quoting the Director of Education, Loretta Norton. So yeah, it seems like uh, they, they've decided that actually flying the globally recognized symbol for the gay community is in fact a way of recognizing the safe and inclusive, uh, you know, in engaging community of the LGBT, you know, folks. It just occurred to me, we should probably bring this up because there's a lot of people not in Ontario who listen to our show. And because it just, every so often I get reminded of this and I get so shocked about reality something that I've known for years, and I'm still surprised by this. Ontario has separate public and Catholic school boards. Uh, and the history of that is, is kind of complicated, kind of goes back to the 40s. Uh, but yeah, we have separate Catholic and public school boards. And most of the students, or at least many of the students in the Catholic schools aren't even Christian. Uh, it, it's this weird... Well, I'm, I'm going to jump in a sec. In order to get into the Catholic school board, you have to demonstrate that you or the family or the child is Christian or Catholic specifically. Oh, but so they, they, in order to get in, they have to be Catholic in, in uh, some shape. You say that, but I mean, I've sat on committees where people outwardly, like they fully admit like, yeah, no, I'm Hindu, but we lied through our teeth to get our kids into yeah. school across the street instead of the one across town. So it's, it's pretty common. It is so baffling. It is still so baffling that we haven't merged those those school boards. It's it's worth noting for folks outside of Ontario that yeah. the Catholic school board is smaller yeah. than the public school board. It, it typically gets more dollars per teacher, more dollars per student. Mm. So you know the the attention, the care, the focus, the energy is it's a slightly higher ratio per student compared to the public one. So yeah. people want to have the extra attention that comes with the Catholic school board. If you can, you know, get through the religious side, yeah. um, then you're fine. But even still, it gets even worse because there's also duplication there because there's French and English versions of both the public and the Catholic school board, which makes four school boards in total in ontario it's it's nuts it's nuts we, we need to we need to streamline but the reason why this is a focus for us is mm. that the waterloo catholic school board and every other one receives mm. public funding yes so we spoke earlier about the accountability for for canadian tax dollars mm -hmm. it's the same with these school boards if yep. they're getting public tax dollars we want to make sure they're not discriminating. We want to make sure that they're being equitable. We want to make sure that they're providing education that is on par mm -hmm. with what's happening in the secular public system. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's sort of what motivates it. But this is great news. It seems like the uh, Waterloo Catholic District School Board has decided that the actual long-standing, globally recognized LGBT rainbow flag is mm -hmm. the one that they're going to use to recognize the LGBT community. So yeah, it's it's exciting to see. The chair of the board in a statement according to the CBC said, we proudly support the decision to fly the pride flag at all of our schools in June. This is the right decision and a positive step forward. 
Kindness and unity are needed now more than ever. I absolutely agree. More kindness, more unity, and less hideous pastel-coloured stick figures. That's what I believe in. We're going to jump to our next song. This is Sumbras by Okan, and we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to Cangui, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. Uh, my name is Sebastian. Now, we are, I hope that Canadians listening to this show look to us for insight and expertise. Oh, man. On Eurovision. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> because it is something that we are passionate about. It is something that we know too much about um for for any 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 good person um i actually but, uh, i was recently on reddit and i got like a dozen people to agree with me this is from like the international scene of just like gay dudes on reddit and it was pretty universally agreed upon that no one has any respect for spain that Spain never wins, and they always at least deserve top five, and nobody acknowledges them. This is a, a running theme. You know, Spain, I think, also has some of the most, like, it's always a good song from yeah. Spain. Like, yeah. the song is is great. Politically, they, they had, like, a Muslim rapper, yeah. which was amazing. 
mm-hmm. um, for Eurovision. Like they should, they should win, but they never do. It's very sad. Now the folks who won last year was the Netherlands. Or will I say last year? They actually won in 2018. No, sorry, 2019. Right. Uh, they were going to host in 2020, but as everybody knows, the world ended, and yep. you know, COVID 19. So uh, in Rotterdam this May, I think it is May 18th through to the 22nd, uh, mm-hmm. is when the semifinals and the finals will be taking place. Mm-hmm. The EU has issued some guidance and the, uh, the Dutch government has also uh, issued some guidance where they have now announced that there will be a maximum audience of 3,500 people during these performances which is about 20% of the capacity of the arena where it's being held. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's like, interesting is that- A lot of this people is... who are not familiar with Eurovision may not know how packed those audiences can be. It is the most watched event of the year, most years. Yeah. And the live audience is a big part of the competition. Like yeah, people's yeah. reactions, the spot, the flag that comes with it, it's mm-hmm. all part of it. Now. According to um, organizers, they were looking at a concert that was held in Barcelona in March where 5,000 people showed up and and none of them showed any signs of COVID. Mm -hmm. Now, apparently, Eurovision is going to be a trial for concert health management for the whole of the EU. Oh, my God. Now, now hear me (laughs) out. They're using Eurovision as like an like a research project to find out if they can replicate the success of this event in Spain to oh. see if everybody who who comes out you know stays healthy doesn't pass the you know follows all the protocols and doesn't pass uh, COVID nineteen from one to another. So yeah, Eurovision is now leading the the the, the edge of research in mass public gatherings in a, in a COVID nineteen world. Who knew? Oh, who man. knew? This is ridiculous. It I'm is mostly very just, ridiculous. I'm disappointed that Little Big isn't going to be competing again. They're a, a Russian group that I've been following for years. And last year they got selected to represent Russia and they're not coming back this year, which is so heartbreaking because they make me laugh so much. Russia is another, uh, uh, they, I'm not going to say they're never going to win because they won in like 2009 or something, but they're very unlikely to win just because of the politics of being Russia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that the yeah. fact that they put like what was it, forty thousand troops on the Ukrainian border? I mean, yeah. that doesn't incline Europe towards you know voting in favor. Yeah, I do want to note that in Belarus, for those who aren't familiar, the Belarusian authorities have been clamping down on um, any kind of opposition. There was a an election that has been broadly considered to have been very heavily rigged. Mm. Um, and uh, the the uh, the president in charge uh, tightened his grip uh, in the 2020 election. Now Belarus has entered several songs for the 2021 Eurovision Song Contest, okay. and each and every time the European Broadcast Union, which produces the contest, yep. has said this song is essentially about how protesters are bad and should be sent to jail. Now, bearing in mind 
that 2021 saw brutal takedowns of protesters mm. and the violent suppression of protests. They're like, we don't really want to broadcast your anti-protester song to the entire world in what is the globe's leading most watched singing song contest. They were like, yeah. no, that doesn't fly. Try again. Yeah. And Belarus tried again with another song that was essentially exactly the same. So the European Broadcast Union has banned Belarus from participating in the 2021 Eurovision Song Contest. That's not how you win. I mean, what was a... Uh... Oh, right. Okay, yeah, no, I was thinking of the Israel. No. Uh, remember uh, Australia had that one singer, she did like an opera thing and she was on the top of that like wavy... She pole. was amazing. The wavy pole opera singer? Absolutely. If you listen to the lyrics, it was a breakup song. That's how you win Eurovision. Like, you now, don't have... <laughs> Belarus's song was I Will Teach You and included the line um, I Will Teach You to Toe the Line. Oh my God. So, yeah, this was Eurovision was like, no, we're yeah, not, no. that's not, no, just no. That um, is clear. So, Belarus has been um, told to go home um, on this one. Go um, home, Belarus, you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Now, in, um, in some good news, there was some horrific news of a young man in Latvia who was uh, set fire in a homophobic incident. The Latvian president has condemned it. He died. The, he was a 29-year-old medical assistant um, in Latvia. Uh, the guy, the, the, the neighbor who didn't like him, they'd raised complaints to the police for months beforehand. Um, the neighbor doused him in, in uh, lighter fluid, lit him on fire. His friend, who was also gay, tried to put the fire out, also caused burns to his own body. 85% mm. um, of um, Kinzulis's body was on fire and he passed away. The Latvian president has condemned it. And Latvia, I think, is in shock at this very visceral example of anti-gay violence yeah. and i think latvia is currently trying to figure out how they move forward with this mm -hmm. but i want to focus on some good news and that is that the czech republic in europe is in a race to pass equal marriage before october the 8th now many of the advocates in favor of equal marriage are up for election with the election taking place on October the 8th. Okay. So they're currently in a dead heat. It's past the first round uh, in, the in the Czech Republic uh, parliament. It's on second reading right now, but they're desperately trying to get it all the way through all the steps before October 8th, uh, because they worried that the conservative populist uh, movement would tip the balance in the other direction. Mm -hmm. Also in good news, Switzerland, which does not require referendums to make laws, mm -hmm. but the Swiss party in charge has decided that in with something as significant as gay marriage, they will be holding a referendum. They had 60,000 signatures uh, to support holding referendum for gay marriage in Switzerland. Now, notoriously, the Swiss aren't keen on taking a position, but we're hoping that in this referendum that they will actually side on the side of a, a same-sex marriage. I think I think it's probably more relevant to say the Swiss are a little bit more conservative than you think they are. 
Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that was a little jab at Swiss neutrality there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it's always surprising when you learn that, like, you know, some country that you imagined as being incredibly progressive only passed equal marriage a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, a lot of the media coverage I saw was like, oh, my God, Switzerland doesn't have gay marriage. Yeah. I'm like, well, let's back it up. Like, they've had civil partnership for a while. Yeah. The yeah. legal system in Switzerland is complex. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, takes, it takes significant things for anything to happen yeah. in Switzerland. And there's a few countries that don't acknowledge uh, same-sex marriage because in their policy, a lot of them are Napoleonic. So you get a lot of this in us, uh, South American countries where they say the government doesn't recognize any marriages. We give out civil unions. Marriages is what the churches do. So you do have a few countries that have that division. So they're listed as not acknowledging gay marriage, but they also don't acknowledge any marriage. Yeah, so because yeah. that's not that's not what they do. They hand out their certificate. You know, you've got your church certificate and your your government certificate. And they give a I government mean, certificate. A great example of that is actually Japan. Yes. It is a G eight country. It's one of the wealthiest democracies in the world. Oh, yeah. It's the only one in the G eight that doesn't do same sex marriage. And they've essentially said, you know what, screw it. Cities, municipalities, there's a name for the particular regions in the city. I'm sure you know what they're called. The prefectures? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Where they're essentially saying, you know, you do you yeah. and, and we'll figure it out. And now nearly all of them, all of the prefectures in metropolitan cities do same-sex marriages, but yeah. the state is yet to recognize them. So that's something that Japan is working on. So on the one hand, you think Japan, wow, you know, the bastion of forward thinking and tech and, and innovation, but still hasn't got uh, same-sex marriage. It's a tiny country, but still every prefecture, they have, they have this thing about prefecture rights, like how America has state rights, because most of the prefectures are old pre-unification kingdoms. So like mm. Hokkaido is, they, they were uh, brought into Japan by force, and so was Okinawa. So in their mind, they're like, they're, they're loosely affiliated with Japan. They're, they're, they're their own thing in their own minds. And a lot of the prefectures are like that. So it, it doesn't surprise me that it went from bottom up. But most people don't realize that the governing party in Japan is socially conservative. They're actually out of step with the majority opinion of the Japanese. Mm. You know, the New York Times did a, a deep dive into this and they found that the average Japanese person is like, yeah, same-sex marriage, whatever, cool, let's yeah. move on. But the governing party, which is more conservative, definitely more socially conservative, is like, absolutely no. And, you know, these things, you know, we're 2021, we're in Canada, we assume that everybody is past this, but mm -hmm. the world is treading the steps in this path at each of their own speeds. And uh, it's good that we can celebrate these advances when they're made. Um, but of course, we will, we hope that uh, all folks make those advances when they get to it. Mm -hmm. Now, I think we've run out of time. Oh, okay. That was the end of this week's show. Hopefully, we will have an interview with Minister Chaga for uh, the LGBT Secretariat. I really want to know what a secretariat that's given seven million over three years is actually going to do. I, I mean, it sounds like a bureaucracy. 
And I want to know what are they bureaucratic? What are they what are they actually doing? I just really hope it doesn't turn out to be like the you know public service programming equivalent of the fire festival. <laughs> well, that's a question that I will pose to <laughs> Minister Chaga. Is the LGBTQ Secretariat the equivalent of the a bureaucratic fire festival? Uh, hopefully it's not. We will aim to get you the answers that we're looking for. All right, my name has been Luke Smith. We're playing out with uh, Just Ain't You by Kenzie Cates. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. Thank you for listening. You're a cool drink of water And it's been a hot summer Tell me when did you come here Do you think you'll stay? I'm a little bit rusty But you don't seem to mind it You let me do the talking And I let you pay It's so fucking good to be treated Like all or nothing like he did Touching my head, filling my glass, but he just ain't you, boy. Ooh, he treat me alright. Guess I feel fine, but he got no clue, boy. It's so fucking good to be treated like oh no, he doesn't see it. Ooh, he's making his move, but it just won't do 'cause he just ain't you, boy. Just stay you, boy.